This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Yeah, I'm falling apart. I'm just <laughs> literally just spilled all over myself. Hey, Pat. Hi, Pat. What's up, Pat? Hello. Hello. Hey. We hey. hear you. you. Gotta wait a second. I gotta hook the thing up, the ear thing. Hold on. Hook it up, man. Hello. Hey. Hello. Hey. Hello. Can you hear us? You. Stephanie, you may you have to I'm jump. Right now? I bought Italian shoelaces and I'm putting them in a wreath. They are the best shoelaces. I think actually. that's on John's list, shoelaces. <laughs> to replace oh, all really? your shoelaces. I, I, everything, <laughs> we'll get to that, I, Pat. Wait, hold on a minute. My argument is that the Italians could be the best in the world at everything. If they just put their mind to it, like these shoelaces, I, I'm going to tell you what I paid 10, my, my dress shoes. I always, all right. I know you don't want to hear it. We ain't got time. If you want this on air, uh, I'm very proud. I'm proud to have $10. <laughs> all right, go ahead. I'm sorry. I found Google. This is my drawer. See that you're born an Italian. If you want your life to be great, see that you're born an Italiano and your life will be great. From the moment you're a small bambino, you eat pizza, you drink vino, then they make you roly-poly, you get stuffed with ravioli. Your mama's a paisano You will have the world on a plate So see that you're born in Italiano And your life will be great And welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Italian-American Podcast. I'm John Viola, your moderator, here with Anthony Fasano and Pat O'Boyle. And unfortunately, we have to start today's episode with some Sad news. Our co-host, Rosella Rago, as you'll notice, is not on the show today. Unfortunately, this week, her father-in-law, Paolo Pesce, passed away, and her and her husband, Nikki, are in all of our thoughts and prayers. Uh, we are all mourning with them and sending our love and prayers to Rosella and their whole family. Got to take a moment to extend our condolences to Rosella and her family. Yeah, absolutely. We're thinking of her and Nick. We certainly extend deepest condolences from everybody here in the Italian American podcast family. It's been a tough week for Roe and, and it's a tough time to go through this stuff. And uh, unfortunately, Roe's out right now because of tough circumstances. And Dolores had some other stuff that she had to work on. So it's just us today. And we decided that it would be kind of a good opportunity to take a moment and inflect and reflect a little bit on where we are because it's been two months really since most of us have left the house. And uh, we always said when we started this, we weren't going to talk about quarantine or the virus or make it a topic. And we're not, we're still not going to today, but we thought we could be kind of useful in that there's been a lot of stuff that all of us have been doing either for the first time in a long time or for the first time ever, or find ourselves reviving old traditions. And so 
I kind of cooked up my top 10 ways to be an even better Italian American while you're stuck at home than when you're out uh, roaming the streets. So I wanted to go through them, share them with the guys and kind of share with everybody out there some of the ways that we've been keeping our Italian American traditions alive and thriving during uh, this tough time. So I guess we'll jump right into it unless anybody has anything they want to add. I just want to say for the listeners out there who are outside the New York metro area, you know, different places have been affected differently. I'm living in the ground zero of New Jersey. So New Jersey's had over 10,000 deaths. The town I live in has had 15 people, as I think, last week. Um, I know uh, numerous people who have died from this. So I think the, the severity of the lockdown, at least in North Jersey, is a different story where luckily many parts of the country have not been anywhere nearly affected the way we have been. So I think sometimes when I talk to people from other parts of the country, they're like, you got to be kidding me. You're still at home. Bah, bah, bah. Thank God you've not been in the situation we're in. I mean, it's not as bad as it was a month ago, but um, I have friends, nurses, doctors. Those people did a tour of duty. The hospitals in New Jersey were an absolute train wreck with this a month ago. So we're very much still in lockdown mode here and afraid. Yeah, you're really right. It's a different thing here. And if you are able to get out and about, you know, certainly hope you're enjoying it and doing it with responsibility Enjoy and safety. Enjoy it for us because we're locked down. <laughs> yes, you're not kidding. Go we'll take a walk for us. That's true. I haven't left this property in two months. Um, so, all right, the first thing that I've been doing that I think is easily the A1A because it's at the center of who we are is I have been collecting, writing down, and practicing old family recipes. I've been cooking stuff that you know, my great grandmother used to make and my grandmother still remembers, but maybe she didn't write it down when she wrote down her stuff. And have you guys found yourselves doing more cooking and have you done anything unique and traditional or outside your normal repertoire? So for me, I've been doing some cooking. I mean, I, you know, you know, Italians, we have to eat well. <laughs> and uh, I've just been trying, actually, you know what, a couple of years ago, my parents uh, wrote down all their recipes in a book or kind of put them all into a book for us and gave them to like my brothers and myself. And I think it was for Christmas or something. So I've kind of been going through that a little bit and making some stuff. Nothing too crazy though, like out of the ordinary, you know, just been making like the eggplant parm and chicken parm and different types of things. We made pizza together a few times as the kids get a kick out of that, of course, you know, yeah. mixing up different toppings. But I think just really kind of like when you have three kids, you know, in the house and you're trying to entertain them, <laughs> um, the cooking is a good relief because, you know, they don't always get to cook. So it's a big deal for them. And it's a good time, like John said, to, you know, pass along some traditions um, because when do you necessarily have the time to kind of focus on that? I mean, for us, you're talking about every weekend. If this wasn't going on right now, every weekend between like soccer, baseball, everything else, we're out of the house from Saturday morning till Sunday night. Yeah. But now we're just home all the time. So, you know, the cooking aspect of it is a great thing. Like each of them can cook a meal and, and do stuff like that. So I agree. It's a great time to take advantage of that. Maybe call up, you know, your parents, your grandparents, get some recipes and just start making them. And if you have kids too, get them involved. Why not? You know, I didn't think about that, obviously. Now you and Dolores added to the list, but you are the parent on the show. And, you know, it's a great way to pass along these traditions by having the kids in the kitchen and making it a fun activity, too, because we don't take the time to do that at normal points throughout the year. I mean, my family's been making a lot of bread. My dad has revived my grandfather's bread recipe. We've been making it pretty much every day, although we're out of white flour now, so whole wheat does not substitute as easily so we've been making it looks like russian Book me offline, john 
I, I know I do. Want. I need to talk. I need to get your uh, advice on sourcing some good flour because we went from these beautiful loaves. I have a bunker with all my connections. I got no problem, problem getting flour. We got <laughs> I have my secret ways. My people, they are supplying me with flour. No, I can't. You're probably getting the finest Neapolitan flour. Not only do I get flour, I get heritage varieties of flour that are stone ground. Of course you are. Your bread's probably the perfect loaf from 1890. I'm actually, can I jump in? Yeah. I've been experimenting with heritage grain in my bread. Is it different? They're fantastic. I make bread in spurts, depending on how much disposable time I've had. But I've learned a lot because, you know, I was sourdough before sourdough was cool. You've got to admit that, John. Yes, that's true. <laughs> that's a tweetable. <laughs> no, it's a T-shirt. It's true. I was into sourdough before anybody in Italy was into sourdough. That's true. And um, I thank God because he's given me weird, whacked out stuff in my life that's allowed me to learn stuff and teach stuff, right? So what I learned a long time ago was the problem with a dry sourdough starter, which they have in Italy. Because oh, in Italy, you make bread. You take bread, you take a piece of the dough, and you put it on the side, and that's your sourdough that you use for the next time. So different from the way the Americans or the Gold Rush people did, they turned their sourdough right back into water. They kind of liquefy it. They have like a liquid sourdough. The Italians just put a piece of dough on the side, and then when they're ready to make bread again, they break the sourdough up in water, and that becomes the water that you add to the flour. I understand now why they started to go to bakeries. Because that's so much work. But with a Vitamix blender, we used to take all morning, now it takes 30 seconds. Is that what you're doing? You're blending the old dough? Yeah, absolutely. I bought a Vitamix. Home Goods had it on sale. I bought a Vitamix about two years ago. And now when I take the piece of um, in Naples province, they call it Grishida, in Salerno, they call it Lavat. When I take the dough, the, the piece of the bread dough, and I throw it in the Vitamix, in 30 seconds, it's perfect. It goes right into liquid. So you had water and dough when it goes right into liquid. Pat, you think you could put a recipe together that we could post on our Facebook? You want it? Yeah, I would love to post it. Well, yeah, I got one. I've been working on it. Um, the other thing I noticed is that I bought flour called Red Fife. Now, Red Fife and Red Turkey are Ukrainian varietals of grain that came about the 1850s into the, the U.S. and into Canada. It was really big in Canada. Because remember, Italy was, never had enough of flour to, to feed themselves. Also, Emil was written in Ukraine because flour was imported from Ukraine into Italy. Wow. Now, what happened is around the time of the First World War into the Second World War, those ancient varietals fell out of popularity because they were more prone to drought. They were harder to harvest. They were much taller um, than modern wheat. And um, they produced less. So what happened is they went out and um, I wouldn't say genetically modified. They bred grains that were shorter, more resistant to drought. They have a much higher harvest. And the feeling is that it increased our food security. And you can understand why people after World War II and World War I were concerned about food security, having enough to feed everybody. But the new grains that they produced for breeding these grains they seem to be much less digestible to the modern stomach. Hmm. So a lot of the argument is that people today who have celiac and all the related diseases, diabetes and a lot, a lot of visceral fat, it's because their body can't handle these modern grains. 
And if you go back to the old varietal, now in American bread, there's red fife, red turkey. In Italy, there's Senatore Capelli, uh, I think in Sardegella, uh, all different old Durham wheat varieties that they use for macaroni. When you eat that macaroni or you eat that bread made from the old varieties, I think you do feel, you don't have that, that kind of, um, you know, carb overload feeling. Sure. Yeah. Now, so I've been making bread from red fife and it has a delicious taste. It, is, it has a nutty taste. I've been making the whole wheat one. It, it actually tastes of something. The taste is fantastic. Um, but the one thing I noticed is it doesn't have a big airy crumb because most people expect this huge open hold crumb. The old breads make a very, very dense bread. That's what we're getting with the whole wheat. Right. And the minute I saw it, I said, this is the Chilentano bread because on my grandfather's side from the Chilento, if you go to farm people, people who still um, still work the land, and there's less and less of them now, and you have their bread that they make from their sourdough, that's the exact bread I'm getting with Red Fife. There's no difference. That's the real ancient bread. I do think if we could put a recipe up, it would be fantastic. I mean, I've been calling all my family members, my great uncle, who's about 89, I've been calling him and getting recipes from him and made his scunji and things like that. I've just been trying to get as much as I can and gather the stuff that I don't know how to make while I have all this time. And it actually leads me directly into kind of the second point on my list, which is, you know, all of these first couple are kind of get to know your family while you have this time, right? Make the phone calls, spend extra time on Zoom or FaceTime or however you want to reach out to the elders of your family or cousins that you don't usually get to catch up with. I know, you know, my mom and her cousins have had like a Zoom night and they exchange stories and recipes and stuff like that. And I think it's a great opportunity to make some time to spend and ask questions with the elders of your family. I've been writing stuff down, but some other ideas that I kind of have been using is like start a text chain with the people in your family that you have their cell phone numbers and just ask a random question. You know, if people don't like to be on the text chain, they'll certainly take themselves off, but ask some random questions, ask for a recipe exchange, ask for a photo exchange. That's been something that I've been doing my family, just sending photos back and forth and doing that, spending that extra time dedicated to your family has led me to my my third piece, which is then be the organizer of that kind of stuff. Because A lot of people I know, I mean, everybody uh, that's been listening for a long time might remember Stephanie Gordon, who used to be a part of our team. She's been at home organizing all of her family photos and labeling them and going over them with her grandfather and IDing who's there. And there's a great way to do that. You know, you can you can have a party with the families in the house and spend some time. You can call your grandparents and show them the stuff online. I think that's really kind of a good opportunity. I know Kodak has a service right now where you can send all your old photos. If you choose to pay the price, you can send photos, videos, everything, and they'll digitize it for you and send you everything back and a website that you can uh, actually share with your family. Another idea that I think is really cool. Some people I've seen are doing is starting a private Facebook group just for your family members that are on Facebook and actually using it as a photo exchange and place to organize. I've actually on my father's side, my father's parents were second cousins. And all my father's aunts and uncles married of the second cousins because that's what you did in the west of Ireland. So we don't have a family. We have a clan. <laughs> and I have a Facebook group because everybody in that Facebook group is interrelated 10,000 different ways. And it works really well because we've been doing it for about 10 years. And there's about 250 people in the group, 230. But that's a clan. 
and we're all related. And that's the immediate family. Uh, and um, a cousin on my father's side that I'm related to multiple different ways posted a photograph from the 50s. And she had no idea who was in the picture. And then I had aunts who knew exactly who it was. So that picture would have wound up in the pile of, um, you know, dad and some people. I don't know who they are. And now she knows exactly who they all are. So I think one of the real benefits of social media is stuff like that. Just post it and say, you know, who is this? Do you remember these people? And it really seems to work. And I know yeah. a lot of... Sorry, go ahead. No, I was going to say, I agree with that. And I've heard a lot about that. And I've thought about trying to do it. My concern is that I would imagine it's going to be something that takes a lot of time to manage if you have a big family and you're kind of the one running it. So I've hesitated, but I'll probably end up doing it. I mean, I think those things are great. You can coordinate family events. You can share, you know, things might be happening with cousins that you don't know about. Now you'll get the chance to know about. So I do think like, as Pat's saying, that's one of the real benefits of social media. It's amazing to think of, and it is, it is, you know, to be that person in your family is certainly a time consuming task. You know, somebody's got to manage this thing. But yeah, it is worth it. And, and you know, I think about like even beyond your family photos, you know, my grandmother has been cleaning out the house. And so she's found family documents. And, you know, I know, Aunt, you talked about your grandmother having like letters from your family in Italy on our episode that we did about genealogy. Right. You know, now's a time just to encourage the people that you love to go through boxes and, you know, these things pop up and we all have a lot of time right now it's kind of a good chance to get the... You have... Can I ask you something? Yeah. Do I live on Mars? I'm the only person I know that has less time now than ever. <laughs> really, I, well, I agree with you. It's yeah. March 14th. Everybody's, whoa, they go, hey, what's going on? You must be bored. I haven't physically walked out of my house since March 14th, right? That's I'm very true. Quasimodo, right? Because I live in the middle of, of coronavirus land, right? Welcome to North Jersey, right? And everybody's on top of each other. And I got more phone calls, more papers, more emails. And everybody's like, oh, I have nothing to do. Call me up. I'll give you plenty of stuff to do. <laughs> I I wonder, where do I live? Where do I live? Sometimes I wonder, am I in a different world? No, you're right. I, I do feel like we talk about having more time, but in truth, we Not have less time. I feel like I'm burning the candle at both ends and trying to get stuff out. And, and everybody's like, how come you're not picking up? What are you doing? Aren't you home? What's going on? <laughs> What yeah, could you do it? 8,000 other people are calling me. I got years worth of papers I'm throwing out. I'm trying to reorganize my house. I don't know. But see, even in that, even in reorganizing your house, right? People are doing that right now. People are doing like an extended spring cleaning. And I feel like these things pop up. And, you know, you talk about a photo that's not identified. It kills me to see these things end up on like the garbage pile or in the yard sale. Sometimes I go to antique stores and you find people's old photo albums and stuff. So if you're doing that kind of stuff, now's the time to be conscious about identifying it. And as a matter of fact, to make that time easier, my fourth step is to sign up for a free account or if you want a premium account on one of the genealogical websites and one of the record keepers yeah. because I'm a member of Ancestry.com and MyHeritage.com. And actually, MyHeritage.com has a really cool feature that Stephanie Longo, our associate producer, shared with me that I took advantage of. I think it was free for a while. It might now be part of the premium, but they have a photo colorizing tool and you can scan your old black and white family photos and they'll actually automatically colorize them. They're not perfect, but they come out really cool. And so, you know, that's another way you can put a little bit of time in. You don't even have to buy the premiums in most of these things and, you know, build out your family tree, build out a digital box of records and photos and share it with your family. 
Yeah, I think that new, you know, in our online group, the new neighborhood on Facebook, we're seeing a lot of colorized pictures and it's awesome. It's so cool to scroll through the feed and see all those pictures. It kind of like, bring, I mean, you know, there's something special about the black and white, but seeing them in color kind of, you know, gives it a different dimension. John, can I say something? Yeah. Because I have two nice people on the show today, so I got to represent the SD Italian America. You uh, assume that people throw those pictures out because they don't know who's in them. The Italian response is they throw them out because they hate them. They don't like <laughs> the people in there. I mean, how many relatives do you have that cut people out of photographs? I, that was a common thing in Jersey. So you have a big family picture, then they don't talk to Zimari anymore because they fought over a house or grandma. <laughs> All of a sudden, they get the cuticle scissors and Zimari's face. So you have a beautiful photograph with a missing square. You've never seen those pictures? Oh, listen, I've been scanning photos in my house. You know, my mom is Sicilian, so vendetta is not an abnormal thing. I found many photos, like, folded over where like there's like an arm and then when you unfold it in the back, there's like a beat up version of somebody else that was kind of uh, trotsky out of the family photos. And, we are the no. other people of the Trotsky photos. <laughs> yeah, we are so I wonder how many of those, you know, this, I'm sure the Norwegian people, all due respect, I know there's one of you listening, they're probably like, oh, we don't recognize this photo. Why have clutter? We're just going to throw it out. Or we'll give it to the art <laughs> and donate the Tao to the Lutheran Brotherhood. Italians throw out the picture because they hate that person. She's <laughs> dead to me. They probably burn it. That's, I don't know. Trotsky, that's a try. Italian Americans Trotsky their photos. Yeah. John, I know you for a long time. That is the <laughs> greatest verb you have ever invented. Timari <laughs> Trotsky, the picture of Cousin Mary. All right. I'm I always done. tease my wife because when we first started dating, I went to one of her family weddings and her Abruzzese family is very practical. And so they were taking family photos and, you know, my father-in-law is one of 10. So it's a huge family, her Abruzzese side. And uh, they were getting anybody who was engaged to be married or married in. But those of us who were just dating had to stay to the side because it's too hard to doctor a family yes. photo that big. That is the greatest Italian. I knew which older gentleman, Polish-American, his in-laws were from Italy. And um, they bought a huge, you know, like those Italian family plots. We have one, like those. We have a couple, like those 14, 15, 18, 24, 40 feeders. Yeah. The one rule was no in-laws were allowed. Wow. So when the mother-in-law bought the plot, she told him, she lived, you know, you, you wife are going to come with me because she's my daughter, but I cannot take you. I'm a sorry. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so he was supposed to find his own plot <laughs> alone. We, we still have family politics about who got buried where in my family. We, we've had that discussion many, many times. Um, but, you know, it's funny. A lot of these things are stuff that you can really do at home, kind of on your own, and, and you be the record keeper. But there's also the second phase of this, right? The first four, kind of getting to know your family, stuff that you can be uh, a service you can provide to your family. But then the next is really a service to your community because, as we all know, the backbone of Italian American business, what we've built our success in this country on is small family owned businesses and they're really suffering right now. So the fifth thing that I think you can do that's really imperative is go out and in any way you can support Italian American family businesses. Uh, there's a lot of resources out there. As a matter of fact, the National Italian American Foundation has put together a fantastic list of Italian and Italian American restaurants that are currently doing either delivery or takeaway or meals to cook at home and things like that, I highly recommend going on and we can link it to the show page to the Italian American list that NIAF has put together. 
you could also do what I've been doing, which is, you know, if you have the resources and you want to sort of cheer people throughout this thing, I've been sending care packages. Uh, I've been sending stuff for my buddy, David Greco at Mike's Deli. Uh, he's been delivering bunches of, you know, cold cuts and cheeses and stuff to my family or baked goods, cookie trays and things from Italian American bakeries. I know there's a lot of them out there that really do need this support. Mm. Or, you know, for example, like our friend Daniello Thierry, who's got Arthur Avenue food tours, you know, you could buy a gift certificate for a tour in the future. She's doing a cookbook now. You could pre-order the cookbook and that's how she's keeping the boat afloat. Yeah, it's great. That, um, she's really working above and beyond to try to keep as many boats floating on Arthur Avenue. So maybe that's someone we should talk to soon about what's going on and things you can buy, not just making a donation, you know, things you can purchase for services to be rendered. I think too, like, especially with like Danielle, you know, I think what we always talk about like fundamentally on the podcast is carrying forward traditions and teaching about the Italian American heritage. And she's big proponent of that, of course, and her tours. And we did a tour of her Arthur Avenue tour with the group of members of the new neighborhood a couple of years ago. And we got to do that again, but it was dynamite. Everybody loved it. Everybody learned a lot. And we can't just like forget about those businesses now because we need to keep them going because they're so important to kind of some of the fundamental goals of the podcast, really. Oh, my gosh. I think about how, you know, we've lost a lot of people in the community that were members of like, you know, the owner of Mario's and Mo Albanese, the butcher, the 90 year old butcher. And, you know, a lot of these businesses thankfully have second or third generations or beyond who want to keep them going, but some don't. And sometimes when you lose the matriarch or the patriarch, the business is gone. So forget just the death toll of this horrible disease as has impacted our community. But how, how long can these places stay open without being able to return to full capacity? And I said to somebody, you know, when you lose one of these Italian American businesses, like you can find these ingredients at other places now, many of them, or there are new Italian restaurants opening before this, you know, weekly. But when you lose one that's been here a long time, you lose like a living museum almost, you know, a place you, that can transport you mm. back in time. And so you're right. I think these are the backbone of what our project is. And like, you know, for example, I've been ordering books, you know, usually I try to go to the local bookstore or if I can't find something, I order from Amazon, but I've been ordering all of my Italian books, kind of stuff that I had on my back list that eh, maybe I would get to. I've been ordering from I am books in Boston. Yeah, they're great. They're a great resource, Italian language stuff, English stuff on the Italian American and Italian experience. And so it's like, you know, am I going a little overboard on books? I usually do anyway, but you know, I'm back cataloging stuff because these guys are on GoFundMe crowdsourcing to keep the business open. Yeah. I am books is awesome. I'm up in Boston. I did a, did a talk there with my book and they're great. I mean, again, another fundamental kind of, you know, one of these businesses that's really promoting what the podcast, you know, this is what we stand for kind of. So definitely support them and support these businesses because, you know, it's hard for them to get through it. And like John said, like we're, we're going to be, it's going to be kind of like leaving a hole when we get back. If some of them aren't here. A big one. And there's another business that I, that needs a shout out. There's Rossi's bakery in York, Maine, a local bakery and uh, an Italian heirloom in an area that I think doesn't have as many. And it's in danger of closing and customers are fundraising via a whole grassroots project. So maybe you want to help. I mean, that's another way to really be active. We should have them on. We need to be a family. That's the Italian people. 
we're at our best when things are at its worst. That's true. We're good at circling the wagons. 15 minutes after the crisis is over, we kill each other. That's, <laughs> that's all. Those small moments of disaster were pretty good. You're right. That is where we're strongest. This is, I mean, like, you know, Termini Brothers in Philadelphia, they were closed for a bunch of weeks. Now they're open taking orders. Um, there's this place called Freda's in Milford, Pennsylvania. It's an over 100-year-old Italian-American business, and it closed but reopened recently as an online retailer. So, you know, don't forget online. Great time to sort of stock up on gifts for family, like Ernie Rossi's in Little Italy here in Manhattan, a good friend of ours. You know, his online business is up and running, and I spoke to him not that long ago. And, you know, anything that you've been thinking about or gifts for Christmas, you know, buy him now. Some cooking equipment or gifts or novelties, whatever you need, a little bit goes a long way in keeping these businesses afloat. So I highly recommend everybody find the restaurant near you. If it's a restaurant that you care about, one that you don't want to see gone, call them up and see if they're doing delivery because uh, we got to support these places. Yeah. And if there's online businesses, you know, message us through the Facebook page, you know, Stephanie's on top of that. And we've been putting some social media out there to try to put these businesses out there so that we can do our part to try to help out. That's absolutely true. Yeah. Please send us any recommendations you have for a business that you know can be helped because we have been putting them up on social. So that's a very, very good point. And, you know, you talk about supporting business, but like we talked about Danielle's tours, it's also supporting those businesses that don't sell product, but sell services. So there's a lot of things you can do virtually to have the Italian American experience at this time. I know a couple of groups like the San Francisco Italian athletic club did a film screening the other night, which we shared with our social media audience. I see a lot of film screenings, a lot of webinars on genealogy or on Italian-American history. I know our friend Tony Manja is doing his podcast online on YouTube and Facebook video almost every couple of days. I mean, he's really, really doing the best uh, work to keep these things out there and share what's going on right now. Um, Anthony, you wrote an awesome blog post about virtual mass with your family, which I highly encourage everybody to read. You found that that's been kind of nice, right? Yeah. I mean, it's just like, you know, if you think about it, I mean, my kids are 13, 10 and eight. So, you know, I think we could all remember you weren't always crazy about going to mass every Sunday as like an eight year old or a whoa, 10 year old. Whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> Pat was. Well, whoa. listen, uh, well, hold on. Kids... I was an MVP. Altar boy. <laughs> hey, they were going to send me to the altar boy college in Rome. They had a red Beretta and a Galera ready. <laughs> hey, listen, hey, listen. Not, I, I, not, not only was I not MVP altar you. boy, but I also set up the church every week. So did you really? Was, I never. Yeah, like we had an auditorium mass too, so I would you know set the chairs up over there every week for the masses in the church. But anyway, Pat, my point is is that you know sometimes like the kids today with the social media and with the phones and everything, they have a different you know they just they're different. And having the when my church is now live streaming mass and you can go on Facebook and it's Facebook Live and like there's people like, amen, like putting, you know, stuff into the chat comments to the priest, my kids are like loving it, like they're interacting with it. So, you know, my point is, is that it's a different media, basically. And you might be able to engage with different age groups with different media, even though me personally, I prefer to go to mass, you know, of course, and sit there and, and go through the regular ritual. But we may just be getting exposure access to different or you know we might be engaging some of the other age groups that we weren't able to engage as much this way i'm finding at least can i can i throw something in there and answer a question to you anthony yeah 
And this is just a question I have for the world out there. I think that if we lose this opportunity of reflection, if, if this passes, and it will pass eventually, when I don't know, when we're going to get through this, we should take something out of it, right? And I think the one positive is that our lives, at least in the very rush, rush New York metro area, have been toned down tremendously. And now, because you're locked in the house on Sunday, it's kind of like, wow, it's something to look forward to, to put on that YouTube mass or that Facebook Live mass. And my, my question is, like, how much of it is that eating, uh, making food, going to mass, everything had to be rushed because we had to fit it into something else. We have to get to mass, get out, because then we have this and that and this and that and this and that. How much of it is that we're enjoying this stuff because we're not under the gun? Yeah, like we, we don't have I think to that's justify. true. I think that's true. There's less stress. There's less pressure in terms of like getting there, getting dressed, getting everyone out the door, getting a seat, getting in. Um, so I think that's an aspect of it. I think also, Pat, the other thing that's interesting is I learned about this a few years ago where, where some, some of the universities like Stanford, they're running these courses that they call MOOCs, the massive open online courses where, you know, they have a professor that teaches this great subject, you know, software, coding, whatever. And they just put it online and they make it free to the world. And when they decided to do that, everybody was like, this is like the stupidest thing you could ever do because no one's going to pay for your paid online classes if you're offering free online classes. And so what happened was the opposite. When they opened up the free online courses, they're actually their enrollment like went up, kept going up because it was giving people an opportunity to engage with the content and the professors and they kind of wanted more and they were willing to pay for more. So my thought on it is like, I think the same thing could happen with the church is that even if we get 100%. back to normal, if there's still some, some of these streaming opportunities 100%. for people, you know, you're going to create the same thing. You're going to get people just more engaged in general, and then they'll, they'll get to church too. It's just a different avenue. Anthony, I could not agree with you more. I've said this to priest friends of mine. This is the greatest, this is the greatest opportunity the Catholic Church has had in a very long time of catechesis because, you know, the, the benefits of modern technology is that you can't have a Zoom classroom. And if you have someone who's in Idaho and someone who's in Nebraska and someone who's in Portland, Maine, and someone who's in New Jersey, and they're all interested in the same subject matter, like the mass, breaking down the whole mass, what is the mass? What is it about? This is the perfect opportunity to realize that we can now, through social media, educate people far and wide. So they actually know what they're doing and what they're learning, what, what they're actually watching. They understand the mass that they're actually watching. I couldn't agree with you more. John, we've said this for how long? Oh, my gosh. And, you know, it speaks to the point, Pat, this weekend you celebrated, you know, everybody, I think by now knows Pat is responsible for reviving the Madonna del Sacramento feast in uh, originally from Jersey City now in Clifton, New Jersey. And uh, I know this year, obviously, you didn't have the opportunity to have the feast, but you guys did the novena online. And then on Sunday, there was the virtual feast with Tony Manja and you obviously led that and a bunch of members participated. I participated, but you had like 400 people praying the novena together on Facebook. That's amazing. Yeah. I was stunned. You know, when I had to cancel my feast, it's like, it's like my birthday got canceled. It's like my yeah. birthday, Christmas and the 4th of July. Right. And I've come to the stage of 45. I figure, all right, God does everything for a reason. It's a big disappointment, but I'm just going to go with God on this. And what I learned was if I could do, actual in-person event with a Facebook live stream. And I never did this before. It never occurred to me that I should have the mass streamed and the, the novena stream, the procession stream. I think we would connect with so many more people because people say, okay, 
people were home and they had nothing to do and they watched online, you know, because our numbers were so high this year, they watched online because they were bored. And my argument is they watched online because they were interested. Were some people sitting around and said, I have nothing else to do. I'll watch this. Sure. But there were also people who would have loved to have been at the Novena, been at the Mass, who couldn't have because of geographical reasons, were able to participate online. And the same thing to follow up what Anthony said. Is it the same experience as being there? Absolutely not. But for those who physically can't be somewhere, there was a connection. My friend Steve DeSerio's grandfather was from a town in southern Lazio, but what happened, stolen, the part of Lazio that was stolen from Campania, Sette Frate which is right by Sorda and, and Frosinone. And their patron saint is Marona Canetto. And every year, Steve always talked about because his grandfather lived upstairs from him. He was widowed young. He would have like the old 45 record and he would just play all day the hymn to Marona Canetto, like the, the, the recordings that were done there. And he would just like experience that day by playing the record. And I didn't get it till this year. Because we couldn't be up at the monastery, but we played the music. Yeah. So, you know, those old timers, I mean, can you imagine someone in the 1920s, 1930s, 1950s being able to watch the procession of their hometown in Italy online or being able to Zoom their family? I mean, it would have been, you know, something so far beyond their imagination. No, it's so, all yeah, the I mean, difference been, in the world. Sure, we've been throwing a curveball, but you know what? We're so much better off today on how to handle a curveball than they were then. No, we've got all the resources in the world to really engage these things in ways that we, I don't think I've ever thought of. And I think you're right. I think you're both right. These things are going to grow exponentially because people have been introduced to them now. Yeah. If going forward in the future, I'm definitely going to incorporate the, to both, yeah. the live social media stuff. 100%. Well, it's interesting because I think, you know, the idea that people are doing things online because they're bored is a lazy way of saying people are looking for things to do online, but they're not doing them at a desperation. This is still something they're interested in. And it actually brings me to my next seventh idea, which is something that we actually handled on an episode right before we went into quarantine. And I highly recommend everybody go back in the archive and listen. We did an episode based on Anthony's book, 40 Days in Italy, Con la Mia Familia, and reader responses to some of the tricks and tips for planning your heritage trip back to Italy. And that is something that if you haven't done already, you know, it's like you say, doing it online is often a phenomenal brochure for the real thing. So I highly recommend at number seven that people spend the time studying and building an itinerary for a trip to take to Italy. And it may not be a trip you take the day that we get the all clear, but, you know, sometimes the best experiences are the ones that you really plan the details of and work towards. And I think Anthony's book is a great resource out there. And like I say, we have really talked about this ad nauseum on an episode, so you can get your tips and ideas there. But, you know, I think it doesn't hurt to be hopeful and planning either that first great trip to Italy, or if you're somebody who goes a lot and you're dying to return, now's the time. And learn about places that you don't know. There's so many great resources out there, YouTube videos and Facebook groups, and there's the Borghi Più Belli d'Italia, the, the organization for the small towns, the most beautiful small towns, find somewhere off the beaten path or your ancestral village. And now's a good time to plan. So I think planning a trip to Italy is really, there's a great opportunity to do it. And there's a lot of resources out there. And our eighth point is if you're going to do that, 
something that I think everybody talks about doing, and it's also a big part of your book, Anthony, that I highly recommend now, and I found an interesting resource, so I'm using it, is finally sit down and take the time to begin to perfect, to advance your Italian or regional language skills. And the reason I put that on there is because, I mean, as you know, Anthony, you always talk about learning a lot from music and the things that you can add to your daily life. But for me, I've actually found this great new site and I'm giving them a free plug. It's called italki, I-T-A-L-K-I. Did you? It's awesome. I mean, I got a, I had an instructor. If you're not familiar with the site, it's basically, it's like, they call it, I think a language exchange site. And basically what you do is you go online, you can do one of two things. You can get a paid instructor. So I actually had an instructor who was in Italy and I worked with him over Skype leading up to our trip to Italy, which was great. Or you can do an exchange where you can find someone who's Italian that wants to learn English and you just get on the phone. There's no cost to it. You get on Skype, you know, half an hour a week. The first 15 minutes is all English for both of you. The second 15 minutes is all Italian. And basically, you know, anyone who's learned language knows that to learn it, you got to speak it and you got to try to be in conversations. And so the I Talk Guy website gives you the opportunity to just, you know, talk to people. And uh, I don't know, I had a great experience with it. Really great. I mean, you know. I found it by, I was Googling looking for uh, dialect. I wanted to see if I could find lessons in Sicilian. Anna our friend. Well, but listen to this. So you're going to go crazy for this. This site offers Neapolitan and Sicilian. And I think that I've seen, uh, I guess, Sarda from Sardinia and uh, somebody who's teaching Ligurian. So these people can teach in their first language, regional language. And to me, first of all, I was blown away by how many Sicilian language resources I found online in both apps. There's like official apps for the Sicilian language. There's a bunch of these online services that are starting to offer Sicilian. So hopefully Neapolitan next and then the rest. Um, But I was blown away by how many regional languages were available on this site because the teachers have built curriculums around them. So I think it's a great time to perfect your dialect. Hey, 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 watch that word. <laughs> yes, I'm sorry, you're regional. You I got better. lazy. I got lazy. I was, I was waiting for the sense. <laughs> I got lazy. I'll have to put the magic chime. We got to beep, beep that out. <laughs> yeah, that'll be, That's yeah. right. <laughs> we're going to eradicate that word. I'd like to learn Sicilian. It's beautiful. It is so beautiful. It would have been our national language had things gone. That's You'd be true. watching Ryan Sicilian today, and the capital would have been Palermo. I know people if forget Norman, that. If the Normans, if things had gone differently. And don't forget, as we talked about in our two-part history of the Italian language, Dante did consider writing in Sicilian first because it had a longer literary tradition. But I digress. Um, but speaking of that did kind he really? of, yeah, Dante was writing Sicilian. Yeah, he was part of the Sicilian Academy first, as we talked about, and I think just went with the Tuscan because it was sort of of the moment. But yes, we could all be reading Dante in Sicilian as opposed to Tuscan and. Uh, what a great world that would be. I'm just falling into a daydream. But it actually is interesting because we talk about Dante. It leads to my number nine point, which also references a past episode of ours that we did a long time ago at the end of our four-part series on Italian-American history, which is work your way through the great Italian-American reading list because people are you know, looking for stuff to read right now. A lot of this stuff is available digitally. A lot of it is in Google Books. Some of these great, really rare works. I know i got a bunch of books i'm working on right now Are you guys reading anything good um uh, i'm still reading that book i mentioned in the new neighborhood uh, when pride still mattered a life of vince lombardi which is really cool because you know 
I mean, as a football fan, the guy was like one of the greatest coaches ever, but he's also, of course, an Italian-American. And, and in the beginning of the book, it talks all about how his grandparents came here and his life in Brooklyn. And um, he was a great football player at Fordham. He never lifted a weight. He was lifting the meat in his father's butcher shop every day. Wow. And that's like how he worked out. And so, yeah, and they give like, they talk about the Lombardi Sunday dinners and like all the stuff that they made and they get into all those details. So it's kind of, uh, you know, I was reading it more from the football fan angle, but you know, the first, I don't know, quarter or third of the book is all about a lot of the Italian American kind of upbringing. So I've so far I found it to be very interesting. My, my dad actually sent me that book before we moved in together for the crisis, but um, he sent it to my brothers and I, and I had it, I started at my desk in my office reading like the first 10 pages. I was all fascinated by it. And then I literally left to go to New Orleans to film Greetings from Italian America and I never came back. So it's sitting on, on the table we usually record on, uh, but it's on my list. I'm reading a great book on the life of Al Smith right now, who's another unsung Italian American hero, um, which I find really fascinating. And I, I've been watching that HBO series on the rise of Nazism in America, um, the plot against America, I think it's called. And uh, it led me down the rabbit hole to find a used book on the history of fascism in the United States, Italian fascism. It's Italian fascist activities in the United States by Gaetano Salvemini, who was a famous anti-fascist lecturer and writer during the fascist era. And this he wrote after the war. Um, that's been really fascinating. He even had a fascist school. Sure did. Yeah. Oh, did they mention that in there? Yeah. Yeah. It's a good, you, you'll like this book a lot. And if, you know, we're talking about going back, we did an episode about a year, maybe plus ago, where we talked about all the books we'd reference in our Italian American history series. And we did put a lot of them online in those episode archives. So you can really go back. And if you haven't already listened to those episodes, listen to that episode or refresh it in your mind if you have. But I have to sort of for the hometown team before we go say my number 10 way to make yourself the best Italian American you can be is to go back and listen to our 140 plus episode archive uh, available on italianamericanpodcast.com. And as of a couple weeks ago, now officially an anchor podcast and uh, our whole archive is there. You can find it on anchor.fm or any of your favorite players. So there's a lot out there. So if you guys had to go back and listen to an episode over again, before we close, which one would it be? You know, I'll mention this since we're talking about books, and I and I spoke to Lou the other day, Lou Del Bianco, whose grandfather was recently named the Chief Carver of Mount Rushmore. He he wrote the book Out of Rushmore Shadow, which has gotten great feedback. And I did an episode with him where I went to Mount Rushmore and experienced the ceremony, which wow. was really unbelievable because this is a guy who's been fighting for his his family's been fighting to get his grandfather this recognition for twenty thirty years, and after all that and they found that he was discriminated against when he was on the mountain and all this stuff and then finally they pronounced him chief carver and they put a plaque up at mount rushmore and i was there for him and his whole family was there and it's an amazing episode you gotta listen to it because it was also there was all the the hurricanes going on in florida where they built the plaque and they weren't going to get the plaque there and some guy went to the warehouse in the storm and got the plaque and got it sent to mount Rushmore. the whole thing the whole episode was amazing the whole experience was amazing so I would say check that out if you like kind of an inspirational story. That is a good episode. That's a really good episode. And we just mentioned him in our conversation with Robert Allegrini and uh, our two-part history of Northern Italy or Northern Italian Americans last week. So I was recalling that fondly in my mind as we were talking about it. But yeah, you know, these, this archive is great. And 
We've got our movie watch alongs that have come out a few episodes ago that are fun to watch our YouTube channel. And we've been putting up some of the old archive stuff and new videos coming out a lot. So there's a lot to do. And hopefully we can be a tool for you in making sure that over the course of this difficult time, you are doing all you can to be an even better Italian American than you were before you uh, walked into quarantine. So this has been kind of fun. I hope everybody enjoys the list and I thank you guys for coming out and making time for us to do this. Yeah, it was fun to chat, fun to catch up. I hope everyone is, um, you know, staying safe, being well. And yeah, like John said, you know, do everything you can to, you know, learn about your heritage, learn about traditions and pass them on while you can during this time. It's a great time to be exploring this stuff. And uh, we're here as a resource for you in our new neighborhood. You can chat with us if you're a member. And there's plenty of resources on our Facebook page to help you be even more Italian-American than when you started. So from all of us at the Italian-American Podcast, thanks for listening. And we'll be back with you next week. got the world on a plate. So see that you're born in Italiano and your life will be great. That you're born an Italian If you want your life to be great See that you're born an Italiano And your life will be great See that you're born